Well, hello again. Um, before we jump into God's word, I do want to make a quick, uh, just a, a, a plug for the day of service. I hope that all of you are a part of that. Um, we did that last year. Um, I went and I brought my kids too. Last year we went and we were part of um, Urban Life Farms. That was the service that we did. Urban Life Farms is this amazing organization. I think I'd kind of vaguely heard about them before, but I really got to know them uh, during this time. Um, they transform vacant lots in City Heights and in Southeast San Diego. They transform vacant lots into thriving urban farms. And so they do this to make produce that is healthy for youth. They provide like, I think, 16,000 meals a year to the urban youth. Um, and, and then they also use the farm to train, uh, to train teenagers in job skills, presentation and stuff to help them grow and to get the kind of experience that they're going to need to engage with the world as they grow up and get out of school. And so it was a wonderful, so we were there and we cleared out some farm area, like we pulled out rocks from a bed that was going to be planted. Um, we straightened out some of like, like removed a lot of brush, cleaned up the place. Um, and then uh, we even got to plant some seedlings that would be planted into the farm um, in the next couple of weeks and, and then the following weeks. And so I really want to encourage you to look at our website that will have the city events page. We'll give you a, a link to all the different ways that you can serve coming up in two weeks. And so please take advantage of it. It was a great opportunity. Um, so uh, now we're going to look into God's word. And, uh, and I do, I want to, like I do all the time, I want to give a special greeting to our kids um, I know many of you are online, you're sitting uh, like on the couch or in the room with mom and dad and, and kids. I just, I want to let you know that, that today we're going to be talking about being worthy, okay? We're going to be talking about being worthy and, and being worthy means that you are special to God. That's what it means. And worthy means that you are so important to God that he gives you privileges, okay? And so there is something that God will give you. Uh, when you are worthy. And this is going to sound strange, uh, but what I'm going to say today, kids, uh, and this isn't just for you kids, it's for everybody, but that when you are worthy, God lets us, he gives you suffering. He gives you suffering, and that, that sounds crazy, uh, but we're in this series on suffering, and, and the series is called Why? God and Suffering. Uh, and there, <laughs> we have to talk about this, uh, because the Bible talks about it, and it talks about it in so many different ways, but there's, there's something inside of us that thinks that if God really cared, we wouldn't suffer. All of us think that, and, and there's reasons why we think that, but um, I think it's because primarily it's because we prize happiness over everything. Like, we just want to be happy. We just want life uh, the way that we want it, and uh, and. So I think that when suffering hits, our happiness goes away, and we prize getting our way almost above everything. And so this is one of the reasons why we then question, well, how could there be a God, or God must not be particularly nice. Um, and so, but, but there's, so much, there's something that's so much more than happiness. Um, I, I don't think we ought to focus on being happy, more that we should focus on, um, on meaning. What's more important than happiness in our lives is meaning, because happiness is out of our control. Happiness is dependent on people. It's dependent on circumstances that we have no control over. Um, and so, but if we have meaning, like if we know that our lives matter, then we will feel like life is worth living. Um, when we have a sense of 
meaning in our lives. We'll feel like we have a good life. We can endure just about anything. And so we've been looking at this series and trying to say, God, what do you have to say about suffering? And we've seen so many different things. I think we're in part eight of this series because we're just looking at all these different places in the Bible where it talks about suffering and we're seeing how God speaks to us when we suffer. Um, And you have to do this in a series because there isn't just one place in the Bible that you can look where it says everything that you need to know about suffering. It's not just one place. And it's not just one thing that the Bible says about suffering. We're going to look at something today that if this is where you start with people when they're suffering, you're not going to get very far. Okay, and, and one of the reasons that the Bible has different messages to people who are suffering is because God has different ways that he reacts to us when we suffer. Okay, I think first and foremost, and this is a good plan for us when we're talking to people who are suffering, when we are suffering, first and foremost, God wants to give you comfort when you're suffering. And we've seen that, haven't we? In Psalm 23, we've seen that when we suffer, God is with us. That even though we're in the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Your rod and staff comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup runs over. And so God wants to give us comfort in our suffering. We saw in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that God blesses us with his comfort, that he comes near to us. We saw last week that even though we're grieved with various trials, we rejoice because God is with us. And so God wants to give us comfort in our suffering. And this is a really helpful, wonderful thing for you to know that we've looked at, that God wants you to know. It's a really wonderful thing for you to let other people know when they are suffering. But it's not God's only purpose in suffering. There's something else very significant that God wants to do in your life when you're suffering. He does want to give you comfort, but he also wants to stretch you so that you will grow. God wants to give you maturity. God wants to give you strength. God wants to give you power and perspective when you suffer. And so while this might not be the best way to start when someone that you know and love is suffering, if we don't end up in this place at some point in time, we are going to lose out. We are going to miss out on all that God wants to do in our lives with suffering. And so I just want to read you a passage, just two verses, and then I want to unpack this and apply it, and I want to see if we might be able to get into this text, right? I want to see if we can get ourselves and our lives into what this text has to say. So it's Acts chapter 5, verses 40 through 41. Um, It's in your bulletin if you've got the printed version or the online version. Um, We're going to look at this and read this together. This is one of these passages that blows my mind, and it it reminds me that, whoa, like I'm still scratching the surface of having God alive and active in my life. So Acts 5, verses 40 and 41, and this is just sort of the end of the story, so there's so much more that you can read, and I encourage you to do that, um, talk about it in your life groups, but we'll just read these two verses. It says this, and when they had called in the apostles, so that they here are the Jewish leaders did not like the fact that the apostles were teaching about Jesus. But it says, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So hold on a sec. So So you get the picture. You get these people that are preaching about Jesus. They're talking about Jesus. They're saying, 
oh my God, you would not believe what happened. Jesus came and he was this prophet from God. He did miracles and he taught and he seemed like he was a prophet, but he was more than a prophet. And we were trying to wrap our minds around it. And then they killed him. They crucified him. So he failed. But then wait, hold on. He rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. And he actually ushered in the eternal plan of God for all of history. And he is the beginning. And if we join our lives to him, if we wrap our minds and our hearts around him, then God will begin to work in us in a way that will last forever. And that Jesus brings forgiveness and joy and a future and an inheritance. And you need to believe in Jesus. So they were pronouncing this great news in this world. And the people who were in charge were like, if that's true, we're not going to be in charge much longer. So they need to stop. And so they grabbed these folks, the apostles that were preaching this, and they brought them in, and they had interrogated them and stuff, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't back down. They kept going, and so they brought in the apostles, and they beat them, and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. How would you respond? If the things that we say about the suffering in our lives is any indication. <laughs> Many of us might be thinking, what the heck? You'd walk out of this place going, really? Like here we are, we're serving God and this is what he lets happen to us? Like how in the world is this? Like we're following Jesus, that's supposed to be a life of blessing. Jesus said, I'll give you abundant life. How is getting beaten abundant life? Very often, the moment that we start suffering, we think something's wrong. Something's wrong. Where's God? So these folks were beaten, and then they were told not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they were let go. Verse 41. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? Verse 41. Here it comes. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. So they are bloodied and beaten and they walk out, not with their tails between their legs, but they walk out rejoicing. They walk out proud of the fact. They were rejoicing. They were exulting. They were happy that they, and, and, and look at how they interpreted it. It wasn't, God, you've abandoned us. God, you've forgotten us. It was, look at this. It says, they were counted worthy to suffer. And so they, they leave and they, they, they say, God, we, we can't believe it. God, we can't believe that you've given us the privilege to suffer for you. Where is this faith today? You know, when we follow Jesus, God puts his spirit in us. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the presence of God in you. And part of that presence is this response. So, so where is this faith? It's actually in every single one of you who are following Jesus. This response is in us all. But it's been buried. It's been buried. 
it's been buried under all kinds of privilege. I mean, in some ways, it's been buried in all kinds of a sense that we deserve more than we have. And that's, that's not the perspective that those who felt closest to Jesus had. And so, you know, the phrase, like, check your privilege is so appropriate for us, especially as the followers of Jesus. Like, what do we have privilege for? There's a, there's a passage, this, when I used to read the New King James Version of the Bible, one of my favorite verses was in Lamentations. It was Lamentations 3.39, just because it like caught me up short and it caused me to like readjust in the moment. This is what it said. It doesn't say this in the ESV, so otherwise I'd give it to you. But, um, and this is the bummer about translations and stuff. But here's, here's Lamentations 3.39. It says, what right does anyone have to complain in view of their sin? I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 right, right, right. When I remember what I deserve, when I remember what I've done against God, when I remember what I've done to other people and the ways that I've hurt, the ways that I've abused my power and my authority and my privilege, when I think about the ways that I've hurt other people with the things I've said, the things I've done, man, like I have no right to complain when God gives me everything that I have. And so you think about what you deserve. You think about what God's justice would give to you. Um, and that helps you to start to recenter. But then a passage like this just makes it like infinitely in the other direction. These folks rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. This is in all of us. This is in you. This response is in you if you're following Jesus. And so I'm trying to think, you know, as I, as I process this passage, and I think, you know, there's, there's really two main ways, I think, to try to apply this. Because what they're experiencing is direct and overt persecution, right? They are suffering because they're preaching about Jesus, and there's people who hate Jesus, don't want them to preach, and so they're beating them, they're mistreating them, they put them in jail, they do all these awful things to them um, because they're Christians. So we can ask ourselves, well, so does this ever happen to us, and can we respond like this when, these, when this kind of suffering comes our way? You know, and so in our country... Um, persecution, I think, looks very different than this. So, you know, the, out, the overt persecution, the beatings for being Christian doesn't happen in our country right now. Um, although it does happen in all over the world. Like it's happening now in, in, in China. There's parts of Africa. In, I mean, there's, there's, part, there's places all over the world where people are suffering like this. And what's remarkable is that you hear stories and you, you realize that they're today responding like this. Um, but then what do we do in a country that at one point had more affection for Christianity than it does now? What do we do when most of the persecution that we experience is more subtle? Like, what do we do when the persecution that we experience is, it's more to try to kind of keep you silent and just to not talk about Jesus, right? Because that's what it feels like more 
and, and more of our culture, more of our situations, more of the sort of milieu that we walk in seems like it just doesn't feel appropriate or the right timing to ever bring up Jesus. There are times when you think Jesus might be helpful. There's times when you have a perspective that you'd like to share and you feel silenced. You feel like, well, it's not the right time. Well, I really shouldn't share. Well, what if they get upset or offended? Well, I don't want to come across like one of those types of Christians that's always beating people over the head with the Bible, right? When that's the kind of persecution that you experience, um, how do we respond? I think that the answer is that we need to be more bold. I do think that there are Christians who, and I used to be this way big time, um, there, are two, there, are, there are Christians who are always talking about Jesus in ways that really do seem socially awkward and kind of inappropriate, right? They're bringing up Jesus at times when it's like nobody is interested and they're talking in ways that are obnoxious. This was literally me when I was 17, 18, 19, 20. I remember uh, a, a sweet, not a sweet mate, but um, someone who lived on my floor in the dorms my freshman year of college literally sat me down one time and said, hey, Stephen, um, I know you're really excited about Jesus. That's great for you and all, but if you ever want someone else to believe what you believe, um, you need to shut up. Like, you're really obnoxious. And it's not even the Jesus, it's you that's the problem. So there are some people that are like that, um, and they need to shift in their way, in the way that they share their faith. Um, I don't have the sense that there are a whole lot of those folks in our church. Like, I think our culture, we don't share enough. It's not that we share too much. I think the, 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 the type of Christians that we tend to be here in our church is that we don't share enough. And I think that we need to face more persecution because we're speaking up, even when people might not want to receive it. Okay, and so um, case in point, this week um, I was having trouble with my laptop and a Dell representative came out to, um, to service it and we were talking and I'm really good at getting to know people. I'm really good at learning what they do and why they do it and how they're you're just sort of getting their life story and then celebrating who they are. And this guy was awesome. Like this guy was so cool. He was the first person in his, in his family to graduate college. Um, he had a great job. He, was, he had some real estate um, that... He had been able to acquire, and he was really, he said, I'm trying really hard to help my family. Um, like, we're down here as a family. I'm trying to get us up maybe to here. And he had a cousin that he had brought out from Texas. He's like, look, just come live with me, and we can figure it out. Life's rough for you. And just this amazing guy doing amazing stuff. And I just told him, hey, I think what you're doing is awesome. And there was inside of me this thought, like, Stephen, you need to talk to him about Jesus. You just need to share with him the good news of Jesus. And so I told him, I said, you know, in my experience, there's a difference between religion and Jesus. That religion is kind of empty, it's ritualistic, it's, it doesn't mean a whole lot, but people go through the motions, but it doesn't really drive them. But Jesus is different from that. And I said, you know, the way that you're treating your family, the way that you're treating your cousin, you're giving him grace. You're giving him forgiveness. You're giving him a new start. That's what Jesus is like. Um, and so we were kind of talking. He wasn't really like super interested. And I just thought, you know, Stephen, you need to share the gospel with this guy. And so I realized, you know, 
one of the reasons that I don't share the gospel more than, than I should, wait, wait, more than I want to, um, is because I actually think I need a canned presentation. Like, what's a 60-second version of the gospel that you can share with anybody? Like, if you don't have that, I want that for you. Like, I want you to have that. I'm working on a new one right now that I just got from a new friend of mine. His name's Henry. Um, he's 84 years old, and he's been faithful longer than I've been alive. And, um, and here's how he shared the gospel, and this is what I said. So I, I, I channeled him, and this is what I shared um, with this Dell Tech as he was taking care of my laptop. I said, you know, the Bible can be kind of confusing. Like, I've had experiences with it where I read it, and it's, it's, it's really confusing. But you know what? To summarize it, the Bible was written because we have three problems. We've got three problems. It's really kind of simple. We have three problems. We have, a, we have a heart that sometimes wants things it shouldn't want. We have a past where we've done things that we shouldn't have done. And then in our present, there is stuff that comes from us that feels like poison sometimes to ourselves and to other people. And the Bible says that's our problem. We have three problems, right? Those are the three problems that we have. Our heart, our past, and kind of have a poisonous present, parts of us. And I said, the Bible doesn't talk about this stuff uh, just because it wants to make us feel bad. The Bible talks about this stuff because Jesus is God's solution to those three problems. That when you believe in Jesus, God gives you a brand new heart. You get a heart that loves God a heart that loves people, a heart that wants to do what's best for other people. Jesus gives you forgiveness for your past. No matter what you've done, no matter what's happened, Jesus is with you and he forgives you, accepts you. And then third, Jesus gives you his presence so that your life is now filled with him so that now instead of poison coming from out of you, blessing comes out of you. So three problems, three solutions. Like, this is what the Bible's about. And he looked at me and he said, I believe everything that you just said. And prior in our conversation, he told me he was an atheist, that he had left the Catholic Church because it just didn't work for him. He's like, I believe everything that you're saying. And so we're going to have coffee. We're going to talk again. Um, and so this passage, um, I mean, I'm a pastor and I feel the awkwardness of that transition to where you're sharing the gospel, right? That uncertainty, like I feel that and I'm a pastor, like I'm, I'm supposed to do this. I'm paid to do this. And if it feels that way for me, I know it's that way for, for you too. Um, but I just want to encourage you to step into that uncertainty not knowing what's going to happen. And if they reject you, then you can rejoice that you're found worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. And so maybe we can press into that. Maybe we can pray that God would give us boldness. Even Paul asked to, to, to have that prayed for him. The Apostle Paul, a guy who wrote half the Bible, planted all these churches everywhere, he prayed for boldness. So we need to pray for boldness and step into sharing more than we're doing so that we'll experience maybe some persecution so that we can join in this text and rejoice that we were counted worthy to suffer, even if the suffering is just that somebody clearly doesn't want what we have to offer. You may end up being socially ostracized 
if that happens, you can rejoice. You may end up having people think of you in ways that you are not because they're associating you with other kinds of Christians. And I'm just telling you that if you love them and care for them, that God will use everything that you say to them to plant seeds in their hearts that his spirit can make grow. And so, all right, so that's, that's maybe the direct way that this passage can apply to us. But what about suffering? Does this passage have anything to say to us when we're suffering in ways that aren't persecution? Right? Is there any way that non-persecution suffering might move us to rejoice that we are counted worthy to suffer dishonor for his name? I want you to think about this. I think that the answer is yes. I think that what this passage does is it, it doesn't just tell us how they responded, but I think this invites us to respond in any way that we suffer. So anytime you are suffering, anytime anything happens to you that you don't want, that you wish weren't true, anytime you suffer because of things that are going on in your heart that you want that you don't think God wants you to want, right? Anytime someone does something that hurts you, anytime anything goes wrong, this passage is an invitation to see your suffering in a different light. Like this passage is a set of lenses that you can look at your suffering through and it can radically change everything. What do I mean? Well, what if, what if you could see every kind of suffering, not just persecution, but what if you could see every kind of suffering as an opportunity to rejoice because God is counting you worthy to suffer in this way and give him glory. Does that land for you? So what if you could say, I'm suffering in this way and God thinks that I am strong enough to respond to this by rejoicing that I can do this suffering and honor Jesus? What if the suffering in your life was God saying, I think so highly of you that I think you can handle this and worship me? That you could give glory to me in the midst of this kind of suffering, in the midst of this difficulty, you could honor me in it. I mean, in that way, there, there's a famous passage. It's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says that um, no suffering has overtaken you other than what's common to man. And God is faithful. He'll always give you an escape. And is that the passage I'm thinking of? I think it is. Because um, there's then this giant argument, right? Like, Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. The, the thing I'm not, yeah, the thing I didn't remember was like, wait, well, you know, is that it also says um, that God will not give you more than you can handle, right? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Okay, sorry. No temptation of taking you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He'll also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And so, the reason this passage is cool is because it's connected, right? That if you are suffering in some way, then God thinks that you are able to bear up under it. 
and as your good father who doesn't just want your comfort, but wants your growth. As your good father who wants to stretch you, who wants to help you grow, who wants you to be a, like an unstoppable force in your life, in the lives of other people. He wants you to live lives where you are unstoppable, where things just don't drag you down. And it's not that you don't feel things, but you feel things and you rejoice at the same time, right? Because you see that even though this is awful, even though this is bad, even though this is terrible, even though this hurts, God is with me and I can rejoice that he counts me worthy to go through this because he knows I can respond with worship. In this way, God, and I know there's an argument, right? Because when you suffer, you're like, well, God seems to think I can handle this, and I radically disagree, right? Sometimes that's your prayer. Lord, come on. <laughs> this? God, I can't handle this. I know you're, the Bible says you know, that I can. Ugh, I'm frustrated, God. I really wish. But then as you think through that, as you talk through it, it's like, well, God, you are with me. Well, God, you do have infinite strength. Well, God, you have patience that knows no bounds. And if you're in me, maybe I've got a little more strength than, than I thought. And so, so what if we could use this passage and with all of your suffering? And, and for me, one of the things that's super striking about this is that they, they began to rejoice as they left the council. Because what happens for me is stuff hits and it hits hard and it hurts and it's pain and it's suffering and it's anguish and it's, God, why and how? And then, and it's only in later that I think, wait, hold on. I think God's going to work in this. You know, in the moment to respond this way is crazy remarkable. And so if you haven't responded like this in that moment when the suffering hit, let me pronounce forgiveness over you. But right now, right now, could we do that? Could you do this right now? Like, think about the thing that you are suffering that's the worst. Like, the worst parts of your suffering. And right now, could you join me and say, God, I rejoice that you counted me worthy to suffer for your name. Some people feel far from God. And sometimes we feel far from God because actually we're not really committed. Because we, we tend to, sometimes we get into the place where we're giving God lip service. But a passage like this invites us to engage body and soul with God again. And to say, God, I rejoice that because of you, because of your strength, because of your power, because of your love for me, because of the comfort that you've given me. I rejoice that I can plant worship in suffering like this. There's so many different ways that we suffer. Physical suffering, emotional suffering, relational suffering, suffering at work, suffering at home, suffering in marriage, suffering with kids, Suffering with relationships, friendships, like all of it. Like the world is full of suffering, right? I mean, the, the, the pandemic and the riots and the protests. I mean, there is so much suffering in this world. And, and what God wants to do 
is he wants to plant worshipers in the middle of all of this kind of suffering. Like God wants men and women. He wants children who can be in these moments of suffering and say like we are in this and it's real and we're feeling it and it's painful and yet we're holding on to Jesus. We're going to worship Jesus because we know we know that he is alive and he has a future where all this is going to be restored. And if we can pull that Jesus of the future into the present, we can see love, we can see care, we can see comfort spread. And so this is, a, this is like a grow-up passage for us when it comes to suffering. And again, it's not the first thing God says. But God wants us to get to this place where you are strong enough to stand up under this and to worship and to rejoice. That you see your life now as, wow, okay, so there's so much darkness in this suffering. There's so many ways that people use this suffering as an excuse to do all kinds of evil, but I am going to plant in here for Jesus. close with just this last story. I was, I was meeting with somebody this week who runs a restaurant. And, and this is a restaurant where, I mean, he is, he knows that his success depends on he and his staff creating experiences for people that are like obviously tasty, but like wonderful, like that elevates you, like the food is so good, the service is so good that, that you're there and you feel like in some ways you're, you're being served by heaven, right? And that's, that's been his, his, his method of operation for so long. And then the virus hits and his staff is in half and he's brokenhearted because now he can't care for his employees the way that he was before, right? And then the protests hit and there's a brick now through his window and so he's got to fix that. And he goes from 30 staff down to, to two because they're just doing takeout orders, then to 13 when they're able to open up. And he's like, there's so much. Like, I just have no control over it. And one week I can hear that I'm open. One week I can hear that I can seat people. One week I'm like closed again. And it's like, I can't do this. Like, I'm at the end of myself. And he's like, I'm depressed and I'm afraid. And I just... I just tried to listen and to hear, and then I tried to offer him the comfort of Jesus. Because that's what God wants for us. He wants to comfort us in our suffering. And as we talked and we said, you know, we, we talked about depression and we talked about medication and how sometimes you got to do that in order to help yourself get back. Because sometimes you're depressed because the situation that you're in is depressing and you need help getting out of it. And then as we kept talking, as we prayed, like it just came over me that you know, you have an opportunity now because you're not the only one feeling afraid and depressed. You're not the only one confused. And so maybe God is calling you to show up and with whatever staff is there and even with staff that's not there anymore, what if you're the one who shows up and says, y'all, this is hard. But you know what? We're going to get through it. Y'all, this is hard. I don't know what to expect, but I know that I'm committed to you. And you know what? We're going to be committed to our customers. And when they're coming in wearing masks, like, 
Masks suck. <laughs> like this is the terrible, awful thing that we have to do. It's super inconvenient for what we're trying to do to create this experience for people. Masks hinder our ability to create this experience. Yes, they're necessary. Yes, we thank God for them. Yes, they keep worse things from happening. But man, it makes it really difficult for us to run this business when we're all wearing masks and our customers are forced to wear masks. But guess what? We're going to be happy anyways. We're going to do the best that we can. And even if the best we can is at 75% of what we could do if we weren't in the situation that we're in, man, let's aim for 75%. It's like if you can come in with that heart, then you will be able to rejoice that God has planted you as a business, a restaurant owner, and you're not going to stop worshiping. I want to work there. (laughs) I want that to be my boss. Like, I want to be that boss. I want to be that pastor for you all. And I want you all to be that person for everyone else. Again, not ignoring the pain and the suffering and the difficulty, owning it, embracing it, and saying, yeah, but you know what? There's more to the story. And we're going to rejoice because God, at least for me, at least in my life, I'm going to rejoice that God's giving me, he's counted me worthy to plant worship in this suffering. Let's all do that. Let's all commit to that this week. And for those of you who are here and you're not committed to Jesus, man, don't you need this power? Don't you need this perspective? Like this is what comes, tuning in online, this is what comes when you commit to Jesus. Like it's real. You get a new heart. Why would you think this way? You wouldn't. You just suffer and be angry about it and get cynical and let the cynicism take over. Like that's what happens in our other, in our old heart. But Jesus gives you a new heart. He forgives all the ways that you fail to be this way in the past. And then he makes your present, your life, something that can be a blessing to others. This is what he's offering. If you repent of your sin, commit to him, he will start this life in you. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this passage that it opens up our hearts. It it confronts us. We confess that we don't respond this way. And we need your word to speak this reality into us. And so do your work. We open up our hearts and ask you to give us your new heart again. And we rejoice, Jesus. Thank you. Let me lead all of us here in this parking lot online. I want to lead all of us. Jesus, thank you that we are suffering in the ways that we are suffering. Thank you for thinking that we are strong enough for counting us worthy to suffer in these ways so that we can plant worship and give hope and light in the midst of the darkness. Help us to do that right now in our hearts about our suffering and help us to spread this to others so that we can give people comfort and also help them to see the difference that you can make in a life that's devoted to you. And there are people, Jesus, that feel so convicted by this. Some of them don't know you, and I pray that you would draw them. That you would draw them for the need for a new heart and a forgiven past. Work now by your spirit, we pray in your name. Amen.